I told you that this ATA stuff was going to come back to roost. Nah, it's all good. Yeah? We're all, we're all homies. Uh-huh. Hi, I'm George Tekmachov here with Steve the Big Cat. Anderson for Easton Podcast number 64. <sighs> that seems like a milestone, even though it really isn't. No, it's uh, it's a common number, though, 64. Uh-huh, yeah. Commonly used. Like the Beatles song. Never heard of it, but... Um, when I'm 64, never mind. I was thinking more like 64... Uh, 64 is often used in computing type stuff, like uh-huh. gigabytes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Nintendo sure. 64. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Commodore 64. Yeah, tournament brackets, 64. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so there you go. And the reason, of course, is because it's divisible by 32. Or eight. Mm-hmm. All righty. What do we want to talk about? You just got back from ATA. Let's start with that. Hold on. Uh, You've got to fix Fill this. some space while I get this... Velcro undone. Uh, I see what you're doing there, and it's making all kinds of havoc on the podcast, just so you know. But that's okay, because that's what you're about. You're about creating havoc on the podcast. Yeah. Are you happy now? I uh, I got some podcast feedback that our some podcast, podcast feedback. Yeah. Our podcast is better when I try to avoid talking about archery, include WWE references, and offend people. So so here's here's what's interesting is the statistics actually back you up to a degree yeah i have access to both itunes itunes has just created this very sophisticated way for us to be able to see listener engagement Mm -hmm. so there's two things that popped out one is when you're talking about random crap that has nothing to do with archery our listener engagement increases meaning that fewer people bail on whatever portion of the podcast. Mm-hmm. They want to stay for that part of the show. Mm, yeah. Uh, God knows why. And number two, as soon as we start answering questions from listeners, listener engagement dives. Why I think is that? I know why. We've, we've had a lot of, we get a lot of repeat questions, which is to be, you know, it's understandable, but there's not really a way to avoid it either. So maybe people are like, oh, I've heard a lot of this before. True, but yeah. it is a target archery podcast. And, you know, at least some aspect of that means that people want to talk about gear and want to talk about yeah. tuning and Here, want to talk about the mental game. Here's where we have shortcomings as people who are not professional podcasters. You know, I think a, I think a good podcast would have all those clips libraried and people would go, you know, it's like an FAQ page. They can click on it figure out what question they want to ask and and get a uh, an answer but it's tough and it's tough in archery because it's uh it's always a different there's always some dynamic of the question that's specific to each person Mm -hmm. so we can't really answer them one with all so maybe we need to be more selective into what makes it on the show maybe we'll answer the question via the facebook um but only pull certain questions onto the show yeah, that's, and we'll we'll note it. We could say this one will answer on the show. Sure, and then at least that guy will listen in to the listener questions. Yeah, at least that one guy. That one out of a hundred thousand, whatever. Well, anyway, it's just a, it's just food for thought. You know, just pondering the situation here. Should we tell people how many people have downloaded our podcast? I'd have to a look billion. That. It's a lot. It's a billion people. Individuals, not quite people. as many as hamburgers sold by McDonald's, though. 
we're coming up on them quick though. Yeah, it's a billion. Good. And if you're listening and you want to advertise, I am available to advertise on the podcast. It's something we'll need to work out separately. Um, do not call my work number regarding this. Do not contact Easton Archery regarding this, but there is a way we can do some advertisement. Uh-huh. Okay. I'll, I'll, uh, leave it to you because I do not do advertising. I've Fair heard enough. you do advertising. Where? Like you actually do advertising for local radio. No. You did? No. Yeah. Well, maybe. I can't remember. I don't know. All right. ATA, let's uh let's tell the story. Yeah, so you might remember the last podcast. I made a comment. I made a series of comments about the ATA and its scheduling and how it affects me as someone who competes in archery. And in the my one of my final comments was you know, because of all these things, how it's stuck in the middle of a lot of tournaments, I don't like the ATA. Well, the ATA being one of the billions who listen. Let, let me just interject and say I pointed out that there might have been consequences for making that comment. Nah. I just said, I, I'm just saying, I said uh, at the time that, you know, yeah. that we do not speak for certain entities. Our right. employer. Right. This is Greg a, Easton. We don't speak no. for Greg. We do not speak for anybody but ourselves. This is our views alone. They just let us. Put we may be wrong, but there. we'll own it. Yeah. So Matt, the new CEO of ATA, he, uh, he came up to me the first day we were there and he's like, Hey, I'm Matt. Nice to meet you. Just wanted to give you some trouble because you said you hate the ATA on your podcast. So he, uh, I was like, whoa, so Matt whoa, must whoa, listen whoa, whoa. to the podcast. Yeah. I was like, I didn't say I hate ATA. And he's like, actually you, you did. And then, you know, I did, um, I think there was a lot of context given before, you know, I don't hate the ATA as an organization. I don't hate the people within ATA. I don't hate their kids or anything about these people. Um, I just dislike traveling to trade shows in the middle of, uh, one of the parts of the, of the year where earning potential is high as a professional archer. Yeah, and you know it's the dilemma of working in your sport, right? Yeah. I mean, you knew that going in. Yeah. You know, and and you're not going to get any sympathy from any of our listeners, I'm sure, because I'll, I'll bet you a lot of people would be willing right. to give yep. up a kidney to do what you get to do. Not asking for sympathy. Nope, I knew Never. that. But it was it was funny, and then and then uh, Kelly Kelly, uh, it's one of the ladies who works at the ATA. She has. Yes, the same. She's name so twice. nice. They named her twice. Yes, um, she came, gave me some trouble about it too, all in good fun, and uh, I gave her some trouble. And I said, "No, Kelly, you know, I need to clarify what I meant by that. It's not the ATA. I just like it's just you." By the way, when you called her <laughs> Kelly, were you calling her by her first name or by her last name? I always call her Kelly Kelly. I, I never call her just one. Right, because it would leave some ambiguity, right? Potentially, right? It's fun to say Kelly Kelly. Uh huh. So no, I gave her a hard time about it, but. And then, uh, and there was a third Scott who he he came around. And so three ATA people too. came to you and said, "Yeah." Something. Then then Scott ended up doing an interview with me for. God, that's got to be what five percent of their of their staff. Um, yeah, I don't know. Some big number. Something like three that. people. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think they have like thirty people or something. Oh, that's kind of what I was alluding to. Yeah. So, uh, and I told Scott, you know, hey, I'm just. I was just, you know, saying some stuff. And so we did an interview 
I said, I'll be reading this interview. I want to make sure nothing comes out incorrectly. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. But no, it was cool. Scott fly fishes. So that's how. We, oh, so you guys had common ground. Yeah, we had common ground there to bond over. And uh, we talked about that probably more than we did archery. Uh-huh. Speaking of archery. Yeah. So the trade show uh, in Indianapolis every year. It's one of those things for people who don't know. It's an industry closed show. We don't. <laughs> You know the, the general public doesn't uh, doesn't attend that. It's for dealers. Basically, it's a business show. It's to come and do business. Right. Um, it's interesting because a lot of business is done prior to the show. Uh, so, th- and when I say business is done, I mean sales reps have visited dealers and distributors, and you know yearly programs are usually set forth late in in the uh, calendar year. So, it can be. Uh, you got to get a little creative sometimes with how you get the most out of ATA. And and uh, certainly, I think we had a, a, a good year there. We did a lot of uh, cool things to either draw a crowd or just show our appreciation to our dealers um, or, or maybe work on some sales programs. Yeah. yeah you so. know, we're still in that in an industry. We are in an industry where arguably you absolutely have to to in order to have the optimal experience in this sport you've got to go to a dealer at some point i you know you may your mileage may vary i get it but you know this is one of those things where you can save a lot of time and money and pain um getting good advice up front when you get started in archery and right and and the show is as much as anything else a reflection of, of the devotion to dealers that we still have in our industry, mm-hmm. at least here in the United States, and I know in a lot of a lot of other countries. Because again, you know, pay once, cry once, kind of thing. If you go to a, a good dealer who knows their stuff, you will end up saving money in the long run. And you know, that's that's one of the reasons, one of the unique things, I guess, about our sport. Mm-hmm. You know, is that. Uh, we still have that dependency and that uh, sort of partnership that's needed with a dealer who knows their stuff, and I emphasize that, in order to have a good experience and stay yeah. in the sport. And I think the beauty of it is good dealers last and bad dealers don't. Yeah, it's, you know? it's true. So, it's just like restaurants, I guess. Yeah. you know. Uh, and I look at it, like you said, because of some of the complexities of the sport, a dealer is, is invaluable if you have a good one near you. Um, it's kind of like, and even as you get to be more advanced within the sport, at times, it's still nice to have that dealer around. If you if you compare us to, say, a company like Apple, which is not a apples to oranges comparison, <laughs> uh, or an apples to apples comparison, um, I just I just googled Apple has nearly five hundred stores in the world, so there are places you can take your Apple phone or computer if you have an issue. Yep. And if think if we didn't like right now, uh, I got a computer that it's got a little firmware issue, like the uh, hardware and the software isn't talking. So I got to go, I can't do that myself. So I got to go into the Apple store. They got to take care of that. And there's certain things with a bow. It's not as complex as a computer, but there's certain things with bows and and whatnot that you're going to need someone who's got, that one specialty tool or specialty item to take care of your bow. Or, uh, you know, just in the selection process, how many people do you trust to set up their own draw length correctly right from the start? Right. You know, things like that. Fundamental stuff. But, yeah, just anyway, 
chasing it back to the ATA thing for for a moment. Um, you know, the, the the big thing about the show is that you know it is that sort of showcase for the industry to itself. Um, certainly, the big players, the Eastons, the Hoyts, the Matthews. Quite frankly, they can get by without the show. It's it's almost like it's the little guy getting started in the industry that gets the most benefit from something like an ATA show, mm-hmm. you know? Which you could debate that's uh, problematic for these some of the established companies who they're the cornerstones of the show, the cornerstones of the industry, and they well, create their own competitors at the show. Clint was showing me brochures that, you know, you had people, again, it's the same old problem. You had people walking around the show, opening their overcoat and handing out brochures for, you know, dodgy Chinese arrows, you know? And it's like, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of feeding upon the fertile ground of the show um, without necessarily paying their dues. And it still goes on. And it's, it's something that they've been battling and something that they've had some success solving. I don't think you got hit up for nearly as many TV contracts this time around, right? No. Yeah, back in the day, uh, probably two years ago. Every it was, third it was person. The worst. Oh, my Three word. years ago. Yeah, it was pretty bad. The uh, anybody with a VCR and a, or sorry, a, a VHS recorder and a freaking yeah. you know uh, microphone was trying to sell a TV show. And they they come into the show, show and they they grab a guy from marketing. So it's usually Gary or I who does the videos, and and they say, hey, you know, we're with so and so. We're doing features of everybody's new products. Can you give us a rundown? And we go, yeah, sure, you know, and. Uh, Immediately after we give them the rundown, they hand us their media kit and they want to sit down and have a meeting about sponsorship opportunities for their TV show in a dying uh, medium. And it got old. And thankfully, the ATA kind of cracked down on that last year. Yeah. And they, they stopped letting those people in unless you're legit. Unless you are legit, you did not get to come in. There's still some that sneak in, you know, their dealer's not going and they uh, they finagle the badges out of their local dealer and show up under those terms and and uh, try to do the same thing. But it, it was a lot better this year. Well, all right. Off with the show and on. Big props to everybody from ATA for cracking down on that. Huge props, all of you. I know you're listening. I know you're listening. Well, yeah, since you found out firsthand after you said something uh, about them last time. You wonder if they actually were listening to the podcast on a regular basis and happened to pick it up, or if somebody who does listen to the podcast said, Hey, so and so, did you hear what they're saying? I think they listen. Yeah. I heard there was a company wide email sent out about the podcast. That's a rumor. I'm making that up. Sure. Okay. I will uh I'll leave it to you to start the rumors. Um we've got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. This is that time of year when, you know, it's it's one thing after another. So literally in about half an hour, you're gonna jump in the uh you're going to jump in the white F-150, zoom over to your house, change laundry bags, and get on an airplane. That's in a half hour from the time this show airs? Yes, that is correct. And you're headed to Nîmes for the European Indoor. Yep. Where uh, I am not going this year. I've, I've chosen to uh, pick my battles, I think, as I previously mentioned. Um, I wanted to go to Nîmes very badly, but uh, quite frankly... I. It, I'd have to fly directly to Tokyo from Paris and and then be back here for like a couple of days and then Vegas and then 
right after that, Yankton. And then right after that, I got to go to Bangkok. So it's like, no, I can't. It's enough days in a hotel bed to ruin you for the rest of the year. Oh, Lordy. You know, especially now that I can actually walk like a human being again. So I am not going to Neem. I'm sorry to say, uh, but I will be be, uh, watching and, and waiting for the results because Neem is the de facto most important indoor tournament in the world in any given year, except for maybe the finals of Vegas. And you might, Neem, you Neem might is argue the world archery format championship. Yeah. Okay. I like that. That's a good way to put it. So however you want to look at it, the, uh, the, the event in Neem, if it's not on your bucket list as an archer, reevaluate your bucket list because it is everything you could want from a tournament. Mm-hmm. Literally. I mean, you know, it's got the entertainment factor. It has the presentation factor. It has the destination factor. You know, it has all of the stuff, you know, the cuisine, the staff, the professionalism of the event, everything that you could want. Um, Like I said, right up there with Vegas from the standpoint of a destination event. Vegas this year, of course, going to be uh, possibly another record breaker, as we've heard from Bruce Cull. And if you haven't got your rooms, you better get on it right now because uh, they are selling out fast in the, uh, I think the, the South Point sold out already. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Place across the streets, still good to go. As far as I know, the Grand View still has some, some space available. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, if you haven't planned to go to Vegas, get on it because uh, that's going to be a big one. And of course, the event before the Vegas shoot starts is the Saturday Night World Indoor Challenge. And uh Nobody really is going to know what what the final outcome for the World Indoor Challenge is going to be till that first day of Vegas, but an awful lot depends on what's coming up in Neem. And of course, in between, we've got Rob Coffold's important tournament, the uh, the Lancaster Classic again this year. Lots of stuff going on. Lots of stuff going on, like we said before. So, from this point, um, we have gone through the IFAA, the uh, Iowa Field Archery Association. Is that right? No. ISA. Iowa State State Archery Archery Association. Association. Yeah. Yeah. That that was the first big indoor event of the season. And um, congratulations to Linda uh, Ochoa Anderson for for scoring a big W in that uh, women's compound competition. Big yep. win, yeah. So yeah, she was shooting really well on. Uh, you know, it's a five spot round scored as a three sixty, and then a then a Vegas round scored as a three thirty. Uh huh. And she was shooting really well to the very end of the five spot. She, she missed two in the last end, but other than that, I mean, she was shooting inside out all day. That's pretty solid. She was pretty mad about it, and rightfully so, and uh, didn't start off hot the next day, and but kept her head in the game. You know, it's it's easy to kind of throw fit or give up when you when you're not starting good and you know you need to be to be competitive and uh she stayed in it and came away with a win yeah and and a very impressive one it was and of course um you know that puts her in good mental state perhaps for uh, for the next couple of events um you know she's going to neem as well i presume She's going to Neem, and from Neem, flying immediately to Mexico for get this outdoor nationals. Outdoor nationals Not this even early, kidding. Mexico, dumb. You guys wow. are dumb. That's an awfully early start for outdoor nationals. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. What's the deal with uh, how many how many uh, Neems has she won? By the way, at least one. 
One. Yeah. Well, that's more than most. So um, hopefully uh, things will go well in Neem. We've got a lot of our uh, top world archery stars besides your wife headed there. I believe Sarah Lopez will be there. In Neem. I believe so. Hmm. Yeah. Haven't heard. So it looks like it'll be a big turnout for Neem this year. And um, we were just looking at the turnout for Yankton, the world indoor in Yankton. And, um, you know, looking at that situation, uh, we can see, quite frankly, that the entries are down a bit from normal turnout for a world indoor. Um, and I think I I think I think kind of get it because I think a lot of federations, they kind of assumed that world indoor was going to be a done deal, that it wasn't going to continue, and maybe they're not putting a lot of emphasis on it. It's not Olympic year, so there's no big push, no big budget either for a lot of these countries to send people around. But um, countries that have been uh, confirmed uh, include Australia, Austria, Belgium, there's Belarus, Brazil, Canada, Colombia, Croatia, Denmark, Estonia, France, Great Britain. There's Germany uh, and Hungary, as well as a delegation from Iran and Iraq. Uh, Italy, Japan is sending a full team, Luxembourg, Moldova, Mexico, Mongolia, Netherlands, Norway, New Zealand. Pakistan is sending a team, which is unusual. I haven't seen a Pakistani team even at a uh, Asian Grand Prix in a long time. And then Russian Federation, uh, Slovenia, Serbia, Switzerland, Turkey, Ukraine, and of course uh, we've got a full contingent coming from Team USA. Let's make a note of where we're at in the podcast. I want to know how many people dropped out when you read that whole list. Okay, that's uh, at 2152. (laughs) Because mentally I checked out for a while there. But you do that every time I open my mouth during the podcast. Not every time. Only when you're reading from uh, Excel spreadsheets. Well, we won't be doing that again. I I went straight from, no, let's do it. We need to do it every time. Uh, I went straight from, you know, thinking about name and stuff to... Uh, deciding what kind of fishing pole I would I would like for fly fishing. You know, the only thing that would make it worse if I were to read off the uh, the shooter list here. Each and every name. Just like we do when we do target assignments at a WA event. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's always cool. Nobody ever listens to that. I don't even know why they do it. You only hear your own name. Right. That's, that's my it. point. Yeah. Right. That's but, why they do it. They want people to be like, yeah, I'm here. Uh-huh. I came. Is that why? Shooting. I just figured it was because those WA announcers like hearing themselves, maybe. Well, you would know. Uh huh. <laughs> Thanks. All righty. Well, you know, while we're at it, um, we have uh, some listener questions that have arrived at the podcast email address, mm. which we. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it. We we have a we have a tendency to neglect, which we shouldn't do, but we do neglect it occasionally. So. You know what? Going back real quick to reading each individual shooter's name um, and also touching on the uh, request I had to include more references to uh, with WWE. Yes, I heard that. I heard about this. Yes. What were the can you sum up what were the recommendations you got from apparently some professional in the industry, uh, not the archery industry, but the podcasting industry? Oh, podcasting industry well that's what i thought it was Mm, no 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 where did this come from no uh this came from my brother oh who's pretty funny right 
Uh, he said, the podcast is great when you <laughs> take it off the rails. You, Steve. Away from archery and include WWE references. Now, do you feel your brother is the uh, core audience for the Easton podcast? Um, no, no. And I think... Is he an archer? No. Well, don't he, you think that might be part of the answer right there? It could be, but at the same time, he knows funny things, right? And he's very witty, picks up on funny things. So So he was the smart brother. A lot family. of well, no, he's he's not. The smart brother is the other brother. And uh he, he's pretty funny and witty himself. But the interesting thing here is they he might hear stuff I say and laugh at it. And he gets it, but maybe others do not. I don't know. Clearly. I'm not saying our listeners aren't witty or anything, but maybe it's just not, you know, because a lot of our listeners are international, my jokes are probably jokes that they don't understand. True enough. So. On the other know. hand, on the other hand, you can count on one demographic to generally get most of the jokes. Maybe. But anyhow, his recommendation was, you know, to include more references to WWE. So we were talking. You were talking right there about reading each individual's name. True. And this is where I need a little soundboard, where Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, when he was on WWE, one of his favorite things to say was, "What is your name?" And the person would lead into my names, and he would cut them off and say, "It doesn't matter what your name is," and that was it. So maybe when you're announcing next time, you could say something like, "I'm going to read the list of names." for those shooting on the compound men's line and then you go starting with steve now nah, it doesn't matter what your name is and then you just stop reading names right what then and there you have found the sound bite thank you you're welcome so just do that next time you're supposed to read names <laughs> just say remember all of you and then play that clip it doesn't matter what your name is this man's planning to run for president i understand <laughs> <laughs> well uh, it's been said and you know what why not let's do it i've never seen any of his films but i understand he's an actor of some sort yeah he's actually uh seems to be a pretty good dude i see all right well it doesn't matter what your name is i'll try to keep that in mind if i ever announce another world archery event yeah in the yeah. unlikely event yeah say it in, say it in japan next week <sighs> whatever uh, Namaiwa. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I've derailed us enough now. Totally. Yeah. Hey, I am gonna. I am gonna uh, pose this. Uh, we got this one question here. It came from Jerome. So you you game for a question? Yeah. Because we don't. You know, we don't get too many of those anymore. So Jerome uh, has been a compound archer for three years, and he has completed about two years of learning to use a pressure activated release. Hmm a Carter evolution, oh. which he defines as exercising in hell without a coach. Anyway, he has returned from hell, he says, I presume hell, Michigan, and enjoys the pleasure of a surprise release. Uh, now, he says he's seen YouTube videos of Levi Morgan claiming that the top pros really don't use back tension, but rather a manipulation of the release in the hand. And he's also observed that it seems like most of the pros use a button or a hinge release. Should Jerome consider the pressure activated release just a tool that moves you toward using a different type of release? Yeah. Time for hinge? Yeah. 
those resistance releases like the Carter Evolution or the Stan Element, you know, they are set to break at a certain amount of tension being applied to them. The issue is you change the angle a little bit, you change where your fingers are placed a little bit, and it can uh, radically change the force required to set it off. Which so, completely messes up your timing. Yeah. I had one for like a minute, and then usually people end up setting them so fast, meaning so little resistance required, that they're afraid to let go of the peg, which is a safety. It's which actually a mechanical safety. Defeats the whole purpose of the yeah, thing in the first yeah, place. Yeah. So I would say never use one of those. Just get a hinge release and learn how to shoot that. Okay. I think that's fair. And in terms of release manipulation, like I, I don't care how you fire it. People are people say stuff like, oh, they're cheating the back tension because he's turning it in his hand. Of course you're turning it in your hand. You can't fire it without turning it in your hand. You don't have to try to squeeze your back muscles together or any of this weird stuff I hear like, holding a beach ball between your shoulder blades and all these, all these crazy things. I mean, it's, everyone has their own way of activating and executing a release. So it's just however you do it, but learn how to do it and learn how to do it the way that works best and doesn't cause you anticipation and, and go with that. Personally, there is some back tension involved in, in my shot process, but there's also a, you know, a thought of, well, this release has got to come from my index finger and get out to my ring finger with the, you know, at least with the pressure I have between those two. Otherwise, it's not going to turn. All right. I think that covers that pretty well. Thank you for the question, Jerome, who says who signs his message as being in heaven, Fairbanks, Alaska. I don't think anybody will argue that. I should probably ask him what kind of uh, setup I should use for two-handed fly fishing for anadromous fish. I'm sure he knows what that is, living up there. Bet he does. All right, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, and we haven't staged this. We haven't, dis- you know, show prep. What's that? <coughs> yeah. So you're, you're literally going to go pack your bag right now. I mean, like in the next few minutes, you're going to leave here. You're going to go pack your bag for Neem. Mm-hmm. What goes in the bow case? Uh, Just work it through. Well, I've got a, a bow. Stabilizers. Any backup bow? Yeah, there's a backup bow. It's never been shot since uh, outdoor season. So two bows, two sets of stabilizers. The backup bow is more there in case like one of my bows just gets crushed or something happens and then I can part out the backup. It's not ready to fire an arrow. And if I make it to a final or something, I'm not walking out with two of them. So it's more like a repair kit. Yeah. If you need to go to your backup bow, chances are your tournament's already over. So, All right. Okay, but anyway, you have a backup bow. <clears throat> yeah, I have, have a backup bow. I'll have three sights. Um, Why three? Because uh, one's in there already, and I didn't want to take it out. Okay. The other two. So there isn't yeah. really a why except that. Nope. Okay. No why. So two sights. Yeah. Normally, three sights in the particular case. How many arrows are you taking? I'll probably take about 17. And this will be uh, 23 size aluminums? 23 18s. I just switched from uh, like... Our, our last question was from James. Is that right? Jerome. Jerome. Like Jerome, I was in hell. I had tried 250 grain points in my 2318s, and I was in hell. Um, I went to 175s, shot them one time last week when I had an opportunity to leave the ATA show, and it seemed much better. I shot for like – I sighted in. I shot for like 50, 50 minutes to an hour, and I missed two Xs. It was good. Local range in Indy? 
Yeah, at the Outdoorsman Sports Shop. I think yep, it's about been 30 there. minutes. Yeah. It's where Scott used to work. So they let us in. Um, it was pretty cool. I went with Rio, and we drove out there. I've shot there a few times with Scott Parrish. Okay. Do not know him. First string. Ah. One of the finest people I know in the sport. So Rio and I show up, and the guy downstairs is like, yeah, they're doing league up there. So we go up, and, and I'm like, hey, guys, I'm Steve. This is Rio. Can we shoot with you? And they're like, yeah, of course you can. You know, they were they were uh, very accommodating, too accommodating. And we told them, don't, you know, don't worry about us. We just need to get some arrows in. You finish your league up. And did like, they, they stopped the league. Oh, yeah, they okay. did. And uh, it was – it was pretty cool, but then they were uh, they were just cool guys, and um, one of them, Ernie, said, "Hey, we usually grab some Mexican food afterwards if you guys want to come." We're like, "Yeah, I'm starving," so we we went out, and I think about ten of us were were there at this Mexican restaurant nearby, and we had a good time, and it was uh, it was the highlight of the ATA show for me because we had fun shooting, and we went there and. It was just kind of getting back to the roots of archery for me, where you're shooting in a club and hanging out with the guys. And uh, the other side of it was there was this little girl there who, uh, you know, she's probably 12, 13, I don't know, 14. And I had met her at Outdoor Nationals last year. I gave her my big Hoyt contingency check, the big red one, because I, I didn't want to take it on the plane. And Great souvenir for a kid. Yeah, she happened to be there. Just ran into her. Yeah, her and her parents were there, and and uh, so they they showed me the picture we had taken last year, and then they showed me that she had put it up in her bedroom and took another photo, and it was cool. It How was nice really, is that? Yeah, it was a fun time, and and Rio and I enjoyed ourselves, and you know, it's it's cool to be able to just go and be some some dudes at the club once in a while too. Sure, sure. I remember one time um, Jay Bars and I. We uh, were looking for a place to shoot before Outdoor Nationals in Ohio. And we went to this little range near Cincinnati somewhere. And we walk in, and now it's no surprise nobody knew who I was. But it's a mild surprise that nobody knew who Jay was, considering there was a poster of him on the wall. Yeah. And what was really funny was when people started coming up and offering us advice. Yeah. Did that Jay was, point at the poster? No. He restrained uh. himself. I would have I would have pointed right at it. Nah, Jay's cooler than than that. To be honest, Jay would have pointed at it under if it had been the next day. He would have done it. Possibly. Uh, they they had the Hoyt poster of me on the wall in there, and they asked me to sign it. So nice. I put you know buy a Hoyt from the outdoorsman. Well, there you go. But you know the funny thing was that uh, you know we were very polite and didn't didn't you know put on any airs about it but it was kind of funny you should have aired about yourselves well no not really i mean no, what was should. the point what was the point you know it would have been hilarious though not just to us yeah in a mean-spirited way it, it, I, I mean I, these people had nice motivation right knowing jay in the way i met jay similar fashion i met jay at salt lake archery and here's this guy talking to me about world field and he's telling me that he dominated world field because I, I had expressed to him my interest in shooting field archery. 15 time world, or sorry, national uh, field champion. Yeah. Me. So he mentioned that to me. I'm like, man, who is this guy? And I'm, I'm looking at, I see his, he's got a yellow Hoyt, which first off, I'm like, this guy is well connected to get a yellow Hoyt. And 
his, his belt says bars. And I, I knew nothing about Olympic archery at the time. I'd only been in, in Salt Lake for six months. Sure. So I, uh, I'm, it's downstairs at Salt Lake Archery. I'm looking at the wall, and I see this dude with a yellow Hoyt playing it like a guitar, like a 30-year-old poster. And I look over, and Jay kind of shakes his head, and he picks up his bow and pretends it's a guitar. I'm like, holy freaking crap. Like, that's that guy. Whoops. So that's the guy. It's Jay Bars. He's a real guy. <laughs> it was pretty funny. So I didn't, you know, I still didn't know anything about Jay other than it said Olympic gold medalist on the poster. Uh-huh. So that was my introduction to Jay. Well, that's not a bad way to be introduced. Looks like you broke your headphones. Yeah, I'm good now. I got it covered. All right. Speaking of Jay uh, and and people from his era, I get to do something pretty cool uh, right as soon as I get back from Japan. And that is uh, Jay Bars and Denise Parker are being inducted into the Utah Archery Hall of Fame. And so I, I, uh, I get to do the induction uh, of those two, which is really cool. If you think about it, they have a combined... 60 years of archery promotion hmm. in their resume. I, uh, I got a, uh, a clout on the head the other day when I was at lunch with Jay and I pointed out to him, Hey, this is the year, this is 30 years now since you won your Olympic gold medal. Ooh. And he's like, yeah, I still haven't gotten over how you reminded me when it was 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Alive. Yeah. It's funny how the time seems to go by. Um, you know, and uh, and yet, you know, all joking aside, these people have had great significance in in our sport. Uh, Denise, um, you know, before the time of many of our listeners and before your time, was on the Tonight Show demonstrating bow and arrow at a time well before that was a popular thing and helped popularize archery Wait. among kids her age back then okay she was 14 years old when she won that olympic bronze team medal and uh was in fact the youngest american at those games and was pretty much america's sweetheart there for a long time and uh jay of course was one of the people who's you know any by any objective measure was one of the people that made archery kind of cool you know he was the guy with the playing it like a guitar playing it like a guitar and listening to motley Crue while uh while shooting you know what's funny the guys who are very cool in the music industry they don't have to use their instruments in a fashion to which they aren't designed to look cool yeah well you have a point there i didn't say that it was (laughs) actually cool but by archery standards yeah it went well beyond Remember, we had to wear all white back then yeah you know what i'd like to bring that rule back i think it'd be cool i think you could do that if you wanted to I'm going to wear, uh, yeah, no, I'm not. That would be pretty striking to have you all in white standing out there in Neem with the spotlights. I mean. Or at the very least, just white pants. Uh-huh. White pants are big on the PGA Tour right now. White pants are unusually bad choice when it comes to anything short of perfect conditions, though. As anybody from that era can tell you. Yeah. You cannot get them clean once you've walked through mud or wet no. grass or whatever. No. It's just not possible. And you're there all day. Like the British always you had. You have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you, it's, you know. The British had a much better plan. You had forest green pants and a white top. Made perfect sense. Yeah. Right? It does. The green pants, no matter what you track through, it's going to be washable. 
Mm-hmm. And then the white top, you're out in the sun, mad dogs and Englishmen. You got a situation where the white top comes into play. You might have to explain that one. Somebody will get it. Mad dogs and English. Yeah, they'll probably send me a DVD or something. Only mad dogs and Englishmen come out in the noonday sun. Okay. I don't need a DVD in case anyone's wondering. Fair enough. Are we uh, Are we about done with this? Uh, we answered one question from the podcast email. Is that the only one we have? It's the only one that was worthy. We didn't. Uh, we didn't talk about the new knock colors which we posted a oh yeah on facebook yeah they which blew up on great. facebook by the way they look great so we have the we have the new knock colors in the um in the uh super 3d knock which is a very popular popular choice among the kanye senti so we've got the new pink we got the smoke we got smoke, the like ruby it. red ruby red we got mm-hmm. the blue we got the uh, crystal clear we got the lemon lime, and finally we got your wife's favorite, the purple. The purple. The purple looks great. The blue looks great. Smoke looks great. Crystal looked great. The red and yellow. I've got the yellow in right now, so that's I think why I'm not favorable to them. Anything I have, I'm usually not that interested in. Um, but they look great. If you're a yeah, if you're a yellow vein user, those go well with the yellow veins. And they're very visible. And. What was the last one I left? The pink. Oh, the pink has been in demand for a long time. Yeah. You know, so um, blew up on social media. People really seem to like it. Now, we did some new colors for the Deep Six Knock, and I will tell you the reason is because the Deep Six Knock is an outstanding target knock, but has never been in target colors before. It's always been in hunting colors, a deep red color and a deep blue color. Not the kind of thing that's super easy to see in a target. And it, you know, in the era of high energy compound bows, uh, that deep six knock really holds its own very, very well. Um, I would argue better than a G knock for compound long, you know, uh, power stroke and high energy, high dump power strokes that you see on a lot of the, uh, faster compounds today. So I expect that we'll see more and more staff shooters and, uh, regular folk who buy their stuff for a living, um, gravitating toward that deep six knock i think that's got a huge potential i like it i used it on uh on some super drive 25s i shot at my first asa i do like it and i had smoke ones i had some we don't we don't make right they were there was a lot of people who were pretty gel or jelly or jealous if you needed help with any of those right um but the the yellow and the orange on those they look great and is that the two colors so we had we had yellow orange and green yes so and i think i think that one will continue to become more popular and then maybe we can get it in a few more colors yeah i think once uh, once we've demonstrated that uh, hey you know what people do want these colors um that uh the powers that be which is kind of sort of us to a degree will go yeah let's add some more i think people like choices a lot Let's just add them. Yeah. I don't care about a couple skews. Well, that's, yeah, that's you. That's because you, you don't... You, well, it's because you know. I care about the consumer. That's why. Yeah, well, exactly. That's why we're here. Because if it weren't for consumers, we'd be doing something very different than doing a podcast right now. That's for sure. All right, so I'm going to pick one more question. And it's a germane one because, uh, you know, as you're getting ready to head to a bunch of indoor tournaments, uh, this is the kind of thing that probably comes up once in a while. Uh, Simon's asking this one. 
Uh, he says that he regularly hears pros telling us that they let their pin float in the middle. And as a freestyle compound shooter, he's curious what the pros see when they're working through their shot process. He breaks the question down as follows. First of all, what do you, Steve, see uh, use for your indoor scope? What's the power of your lens and the aiming reticle? And what are you using for a peep? Pin, circle, or dot? And also, how much float do you see indoors? Don't worry, I'll break these down again. How much movement do you see when the shots are breaking clean and things feel good? And when you're having an off day, how much float do you perceive? So first, mm. uh, what are you using for your indoor scope? And rather than describe power of a lens, we're going to have to talk about the diopter. Yes. Indoor scope, I use a .75 diopter. Now, why am I bringing that up? The reason is because the diopter is a function of the um, focal length. And so Steve at that diopter is seeing more than I would see at the same diopter because I've got a shorter draw length and therefore a somewhat shorter focal radius. length. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my side radius is like 34 inches peep to pin measure. Whereas mine might be 31 or 32. Yeah, just depends on how far out you run your scope or how far in, but... Further out it goes, the, the more magnification you do get out of it. Okay, so that's the distinction. That's why we brought that up. Um, the other part of the question is, what is your aiming reticle for that kind of uh, purpose? I have a 65 thousandths etched dot painted black. And are you using that whether you're shooting a Vegas target or a blue target from the NFAA? Yep. So it's the same. And when you're at full draw, what do you see? Uh, with that dot on the target, what does it look like? Mm. How much of the gold is obscured, if any? It, I mean, some is, obviously. It covers, it fits about inside the 10 ring on a Vegas face. Okay, so fairly... It's fairly small dot by a lot of standards. Uh-huh. But I don't want a big one. I think I'd try to peek around it. It can get tough when you're when you're on a small dot and you are you get a, a black hole going and sometimes you... The dot gets lost in the hole? Yeah, sometimes the dot gets lost in the hole or sometimes you, you keep the dot out of the hole. It, it, it just depends on how your brain's functioning that day but or from shot to shot, really, because sometimes it'll it'll sit there in that black hole and fire nice and easy. Other times I'll move all around it. Okay. I'd say a, a standard float. Um, when, I'm, when I'm on a normal day, I won't say my best day and I won't say a bad day, but a normal good day, I would say generally I'm not moving far out of the 10 ring if I do. You know, generally it's in the middle. Uh, I probably fire most comfortably when I'm aiming right at the bottom of the X, and I don't think that's uncommon. You know, I, I know guys have had 25-year careers holding at the bottom of the 10. Sure, as long as you're consistent, yeah. what does it matter? Yeah, so I'll get a little movement, and it's slow and predictable, and, and that's that's always nice. Usually a bad shot for me is is uh caused by execution. I don't I don't stay patient. I try to make a shot happen before I should and I either push one out the top or you know, I won't stay stay strong on the bow arm. Generally that happens because I'm not being patient. I anticipate it and I'll I'll drop out the bottom and as soon as you drop out that's enough movement to usually get the hook to clear the moon and she fires. All right. Uh, you're using a clarifier type peep. That's yeah. a peep that has an actual optical element. Yeah, uh, I do use a number one clarifier for indoor. And that, you know, this reminds me, I leave to name <coughs> tomorrow and I had intended to get a slightly smaller clarifier because Neem is often dark and you need a smaller peep. 
I switched from a specialty housing that's scope a, that's housing. That's counterintuitive, by the way. Maybe you can explain why. Uh, well, the 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 darker it is, the larger your peep appears. The brighter it is, the smaller your peep appears. So, usually at Neem, I go down a size just to keep the uh, the scope peep relationship from getting uh, getting too big i guess you'd say one of the cool things about neem of course is it's uh, the second biggest consumer trade show in archery if not uh, right on par with the vegas right and so um usually if you show up uh you can find what you need a specialty archery peep might be tough to find there i think they have a booth uh not recently oh okay they used to so i'll i'll figure something out i'll just right. i'll just deal is with that it. the only supplier for that kind of uh, device is that uh or other people making clarifiers too. There are others, but generally, like, like say Arc System in France, there's I believe their clarifier only fits their peeps, and Hamski makes one, and theirs only fits theirs. So. Gotcha. So it's not a it's uh, not a one size fits not all. a universal solution. Nope. Not like a USB plug or something like that. Mm-mm. Pin, circle, or dot? You've already answered. That's a dot. And how much float do you see indoors? I answered that. Right. And how much movement do you perceive when the shots are breaking clean and things feel good? Would the answer be less? <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, you know, on a good day, on a great day, do you feel like you get up in the middle and never come off of it? Realistically, you are still moving. It's just smaller or slower. And shots fire when you're in the right place. That subconscious finishing of the shot execution is done when you're you're uh, visually you know seeing the sight picture that you need to make a good shot i'm gonna ask you another question um because we haven't finished with your bow case contents but uh oh yeah we didn't even really come close on that right but um we're gonna get back to that in a second but i i gotta ask because i i deal with this myself all the time and i have my own technique how do you deal with the fact that you haven't really left yourself any acclimation time? Mm, for Neem? Mm. Well, we'll be there. What I'm worried about right now is, you know, we're recording this. It's Monday. I haven't, sh- I shot one time last week. So I'm going to go practice tonight and I'm probably going to suck a little bit. Like I'm going to be shaking a bit. I'm just not strong. You know, got 18 ounces on the front, 27 on the back. You got to, Got to maintain some strength to shoot that. And I, I'm not going to have it today because let's see, where were we? The, the week prior, I was just getting everything ready for ATA or something like that. I don't remember. So, no, I was in Iowa. There was no time, no lag time. So I, that helps. You know, it wasn't a, wasn't a two-week gap. Um, so I'll go shoot today and it'll kind of suck. And then I'll shoot tomorrow. I'll come into work. We'll get everything all ready to go, and we got to carry a lot of our booth materials over to Neem with us. Some of them I shipped ahead, but you know, so like I'm I'm taking a, a bow case to display, and then uh, I that if I ship that over there, it costs you know 150 bucks to ship it. So not doing it. Our accounting guy who's going with us, VP of accounting, he will use it as luggage. Well, there you go. <laughs> so that's that's one way to save some cost. And then, uh, then we'll display it over there. So I'll get all that stuff ready and, and get, and, uh, we'll hit the airport at about three o'clock. So I'll have two days in a row of shooting done. We'll land in Paris at nine ish AM or 11 AM. I don't remember. We will get to Montpellier about two. You're taking the train. 
no car um we'll we'll get in a car we will you're gonna baja across all of france well, to get to like, montpellier no 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 we're going paris to montpellier via air via an airplane sorry i yeah. thought i thought you, you were going it. from paris to never mind all you right. missed a key now, I've done that, by the way. I've, yeah. I've driven from Paris to freaking Italy. And... Nope, not having it. Well, so we'll, we'll go shoot that night at the club. So I'll have three days in a row at this point. Thursday I'll shoot. Friday I'll shoot a little bit before my round. I'm qualifying Friday night, which, you know, if I get in trouble and I'm feeling like this is complete garbage, I'll ask them if I can switch to Saturday. Oh, yeah, and there's I'll, usually I'll, a slot available. Yeah, I'll try to – there's always a Saturday 7 a.m. slot, which I don't want to use, but – if I'm struggling and I need another day or I have a bow issue and I need another day or something, then, then you, you take it. Yep. But I think usually by the time I, I get to, to Nîmes, I've had, you know, four or five days, as long as, as long as everything's okay, which, uh, I'm going to make a little release change this week. Okay. I was wondering about that. So yeah, I'm going to shoot a different release. So that, oh. we'll see how that works out. All right. Not because I worked on that release. I no, hope. no. I uh, I have a new a new campaign in archery. And that is change your hinge moon and change it often. Which is like that guy who was on Walker Texas Ranger who says check your blood sugar and check it often for the American <laughs> Diabetes Association. And I say that because you get a hinge moon. It's got a ten thousand. I've just been rambling on for a while, but I'm going to keep going. You get a hinge moon. It's got a 10 thou click and you shoot it for two years. No longer has a 10 thou No longer thou 10 thou. It's like 5 thou and you slowly acclimated yourself to it. I mean, that's the perfect form of acclimation. Yeah. This was like a 62 Rockwell steel part. Yeah. That looked like it had been smeared with a grinder. So you, you go from 5, clou- five thou click or whatever it was to 10 thou. Not good. Ruined me for a month. Except a your month. first end was perfect yeah i think i don't know i don't know how i pulled that off but ruined me so i have a new release with a six thou click that i'm gonna roll with and it's pretty dope all right yeah i had a feeling um switching just before a big event might not have been the the best thing to do but hey you know you got to try these things to learn well it was it was do that or eventually it blows through the click because it doesn't exist anymore yeah so. exactly and that's that's worse yeah. especially if you find yourself on the re- receiving end of that release as it comes off the string yeah all right so back to the bow case uh tools what do you got there um well i have have you got one of those portable presses no i usually rely on someone else to have that I have. I like the honesty. Yeah. Uh, at Iowa, it was David Hauser. I used his. Um, I just put, you know, I noticed I was getting some vertical impact. I put a half twist in the into the bus. I also felt like it was a touch short, and I was kind of creeping off the wall. So I put a, put a half twist in the bus, and it got a lot better. So I don't take one of those. I take, uh, I take a serving tool with some angel majesty on it. I have never had to use it. Brady Ellison used it one time. Nice. Said it was great. Nice. I take some pliers. Um, There's a lot of random crap that ends up in there over the years. Double-sided tape for sight tapes. I always have about three spools of that. All of them, the plastic is broken on from getting smashed by something else. 
I have two Hamski levels. Keep two in there. You can you can do a lot with two of those. You know, it remains to be seen whether they're both accurate or not. I haven't checked that, but for now I'm going to say yes, they are, and keep trying to make that work. Um, one thing I need is a small screwdriver set. Mm-hmm. Like a little eyeglass set. Mm-hmm. That's going to be critical. Learn that, you know, I've got like a, I keep my quiver in there and uh, whatever else. I don't know. Usually some old like paper and some knock bags floating around. Should, uh, should throw in some of our new pins. Pins. Yeah, man. You know, the, the archer pins. Oh yeah. Uh, just I mean, to hand out to your target mates and folks on the line, you know, that, yeah, that sounds like a good, a good thing to go in Nate's bag. Yeah, I agree. I right. don't need to be carrying that. Fair enough. But make sure you grab some before you leave. Cause yeah. I think people are going to want some of those. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring some of those. All right. All right. Well, I think that that covers things from the standpoint of, uh, of what a top guy does getting ready to go to an international tournament on practically no sleep and no notice. How about snacks on the airplane? What do you do? Because I can't eat the airplane food. No, the airplane food, if you eat that, you aren't going to the bathroom for a few days. So I usually like to get a Subway sandwich to take on the plane. Ah. But there's not a Subway in Salt Lake Airport. True. So I'll figure something else out. All right. Well, that sounds like a plan. Yeah, you don't want to eat that that airplane they call it like vegetarian it's some type of a weird no no it's not good no it's terrible it's not horrible and awful i have found that uh even in flights that are more than 10 hours long which is my average flight uh it's better not to eat that stuff at all it's just better not to and you know what at the end of the day you get off the plane you feel okay you're way ahead of the game so all right, Steve. Well, I think that just about wraps this one. How long have we been going? Oh, some 50 minutes or so. I think that's huh. more than enough. I thought we had eclipsed an hour by now. You know, the thing is, you haven't said a word about anything going on outside. You haven't insulted uh, any industry leaders this time. You haven't done anything that would... I would argue that, you know, you're, you're, You've been a little less salty on this particular podcast compared to what it could be. Yeah, it's probably one of our worst podcasts because of that. No doubt. No one, no one's going to listen to episode sixty-five when it comes around. Maybe not, but uh, you know, I was just looking at our numbers, and they're still where they have been. So. Maybe we should invite Matt Corman to be on the podcast. He is the new ATA CEO. Yeah, he sent me a friend request the other day. I'm going to confirm it right now. Well, why don't you uh, invite him? I you will. Can, you can interview him. Uh, no, I don't do interviews. <laughs> Here's what I'll ask him. He's probably listening right now. No, I I won't ask him this. Never mind. We should ask him to be on, though. Okay. You know, I feel, I feel bad for that guy because it's his first ATA, and if you're the new ATA guy, everyone's going to push their agenda on you. Not to mention, it's got to be like drinking from a fire hose. Yes, drinking from a fire hose. And I, I, you know, I saw him at the beginning of the week. That was probably the best time to see him. I bet by the end of that thing, he wanted to get the hell out of there. He's probably thinking, dude, I am, what did I take on, you know? But it, it, I get it. I mean, it's, uh, people don't often, 
get to interact with him and everybody's got their idea of how the industry should be run and everybody thinks FET tax sucks, which it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's going it, to be some, it's going to be a lot of people just voicing their complaints to him for three, four days or whatever we were there. And, and about nothing else, no one's going to say, Hey, you know, over the, the next year, I'd love to take time to, discuss something with you and, and yada, yada. It's just going to be, Hey, nice to meet you. You know what my problem is with the ATA or the industry or yada, yada. So don't you think we did him a service by uh, having you expound upon your point of view by, uh, you know, before the show? Well, I think that was more just to kind of cover my butt to clarify with them. You know, they knew I wasn't dogging them personally. But Clearly. It's all good. We'll bring him on. We'll ask him. We'll ask him if everyone got in his grill about, you know, whatever. All right. Well, I'll leave it to you. To or he'll run. tell us, no, I'm not interested in being on with you because well, of you, Steve. Well, I don't know. I, I suppose that uh, let's just say that there are some people in the industry that like being on our podcast and some who don't. And who I doesn't? Can't, I'm sure there's somebody out there that we might invite that wouldn't want to be on yeah if you go across the whole industry yeah i'm sure there's some sooner or later someone you know our old friend kevin wilkie maybe no kevin would be fine he'd yeah be actually fine. he'd be great <laughs> <laughs> all right well anyway i think that sorry for everybody who's still around yeah well we, is it your fault or mine it's mine i didn't I don't know. I didn't look out the window one time. Well, I faced away from I the window. I even deliberately set you up so you could if you chose to. I even opened the shade. I think our IT guy, he's got this Mustang 5.0. It's been there. sitting there it's for there. three weeks. Yeah, he hasn't moved it. I think his 5.0 is running on 0.0. Yeah, maybe so. And what does that say about the network? I don't know. I was trying to load funny videos from Barstool Sports. For Gary to watch this morning, wouldn't load up. Took too long. Had to get off the company Wi-Fi. I see. You see that? There's an engineer pacing outside on the lawn. I can't. Yeah, there he is. There he is. What's he doing? I don't know, but he looks like he's... Let's film him for the... He for looks the like Facebook. he's doing some kind of a GPS assessment. He maybe does. he's got one of those... Maybe he's got one of those new Garmin sites. That was the talk of the show. You know who designed that? Yeah, Jeremy from Hoyt. From Hoyt, yeah, he used to be at Hoyt. How cool Here is he comes. that? Here he comes. Let's zoom in on him. I'm going to put my microphone down. All right. Steve is uh, zooming in on the Easton engineer who's doing something very unusual and suspicious in the front lawn, and it will soon be on the uh, Steve Anderson Archery. No, we'll put it on the Easton podcast, or uh, the Easton Archery Facebook. Easton Archery Facebook? What's he doing? I don't know. He but just he, turned around. He's clearly tracking something. He's doing something that Is involves- he geocaching or he something? He could be geocaching. I think that might have been a- He's running. He's running now, yes, literally. Oh, well, I you know, we have no idea what's going on, but, uh, but we can see that he's making his way back into the building after perhaps successfully testing- some unknown piece of technology, which may be uh, on display at next year's ATA show for all we know. <laughs> oh, it's possible. Well, well, our podcast just went from a four to a seven. 
uh, well, you know, you got to have that external influence in order to make things interesting. But by now, I think it's time for... <laughs> it was time a long time ago. End of show? Yes. <laughs>